Okay, so we're we're down to the last uh, two sessions here in the Lord's Sermon on the Mount, Luke chapter, excuse me, Matthew chapter 7, and uh, next week we'll finish that up. So June 17th, we're going to have, I'm going to, uh, Orlando's going to be out of town almost the whole summer, and uh, so I'm going to, I'm going to do a couple of short courses. I'll start one of them on the 17th of June, run four or five weeks, then do another one after that. Uh, I'm going to do one on the Gospel of John, which will kind of address the uh, issue somebody wanted to talk about the Holy Spirit. So the Gospel of John is really the Gospel of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to be looking at a lot of what Jesus had to say about uh, the person of the Holy Spirit, what he would do, what his, what his job description is, who he is. And uh, so we'll look at that and uh, also some other major motifs in the Gospel of John. John's Gospel is really neat because one of the things that you see threaded through there is that Jesus is always responding to his father. He never takes initiative in anything. His initiative is to go and ask his father, what am I supposed to be doing? Where, where do I go today? What do I speak today? And so he never did a thing without having direction from his father. He was submitted for 33 years that way, just absolutely submitted. And so that's one of the major themes of John. Another major theme is faith or belief. 99 times in that gospel is the a word, a form of, of pistis or belief, faith is used, which is pretty phenomenal. 21 chapters, 99 times that's mentioned. And uh, finally, we'll look at the deity of Jesus through his I am statements and also the seven miracles he performs in that particular gospel. So we'll look at that kind of as an overview of the gospel of John. And then we're going to look at eschatology. How y'all, y'all like eschatology? <laughs> and so we're going to do kind of a 30,000-foot overview of what's the Bible say about the end times. There's a, there's a good book you might want to read. It's, a, it's in the Reformed tradition. It's very readable. Uh, R.C. Sproul's book, uh, The End Times According to Jesus. And I think you'd enjoy reading that and uh, maybe get a different perspective than Americanism because I, I really think uh, eschatology has been distorted in uh, the last probably about a century and a half. And uh, America's really jumped on that bandwagon. And uh, anyway... R.C. Sproul brings us back really to Calvin, Luther's view, and, and uh, the Reformer's view, and, and how that fits in with the scheme of God's bringing hope to his people in the midst of very difficult times. And, and we're kind of segueing out of a very wonderful time in history for us, for America, and moving into something that looks much more difficult. So we're going to need all the hope we can get going forward. And Jesus provides that through, uh, through the book of Revelation as well as through the other uh, eschatological teachings and instructions that come through the apostles' uh, teachings and writings, and then in the Old Testament all the way back to the book of Genesis. So we'll look at those and and uh, be interesting, I hope. Okay, so today, April 22nd, 2018, we're looking at everyone's being a builder here. So I want to read a couple of passages to you. One of them is is in Psalms, and it's chapter 11, if I can get over here, and I'll read something to you out of Hebrews, kind of set the stage for what Jesus is saying, the Servant on the Mount. The 11th Psalm says this, In the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, Flee like a bird to your mountain? For behold, the wicked bend the bow. They have lifted their arrow to the string to shoot in dark at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed... What can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see, his eyelids test the children of man. The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Let him rain coals on the wicked. Fire and sulfur and a scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. 
the upright shall behold his face. So foundations are foundations that you and I knew growing up and in uh, this nation have, have really shaken, aren't they? They've been really moved out of the way. They've kind of been bulldozed by secular humanism and all kinds of other philosophies and just pushed out of the way. And they're no longer influential uh, like they used to be. They used to be influential in everybody's life. Christianity was really kind of a cultural stain that you and I grew up with, and that's, that stain is leaving, and we're getting something different, a whole different mix. So what will the righteous do? Well, the Lord's household is in heaven. It doesn't shake. You know, it's, and so when the foundations are shaking, the thing that the saints of God do is become more earnest. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. And we continue to, to maybe get a little more uh, emphatic. We need reviving. We need the purposes of God to be realized in our generation. So in the book of Hebrews in chapter 12, there's this, this great and fearsome closing out of this book. And verse 25 of chapter 12 says, See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At, this, at that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore let us be grateful to receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. So God's kingdom is unshakable. His, his throne is unshakable, and he's given us a, a portion of that kingdom. And this, this particular sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, is all about the ethic of that kingdom. It's righteousness, it's peace, and it's joy that we're praying for constantly. We pray for God's kingdom to come and his will to be done. We're praying righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit to come. And, and as we do that, it, it reshapes our lives, doesn't it? And we become different people as we respond to God. So as we listen to his voice, we want to refuse what he's saying, but we want to follow what he says. And uh, that establishes then some solidity in our lives that's able to, to be a platform for the Holy Spirit to move through us and influence our surroundings to bear witness to God and to bring glory to Him. So Jesus brings this sermon to, the clo to a close, and, and He's been doing this for basically the, the last chapter, chapter 7. We're getting down nearly to the end of, of what He has to say to us at this particular, this particular juncture in His ministry. So I, some things I thought of as I was looking this over, Again, we go back to the Beatitudes, and Jesus speaks these wonderful things, these blessings over the people that are defined by the, uh, the things that come after the blessed. And so they're people that are spiritually poor, they're blessed. People that mourn, they're blessed. People that, that are meek and humble, they're blessed. People that uh, hunger and thirst for righteousness, they're blessed. And he goes on, and he relates the character of people that cooperate with him that he's called out of the world into his kingdom and they, then sends them out to imitate him to do what he says that we're to do. So all of this is done, especially we can see it at the uh, close as he begins to, to take some analogies and bring them forward. And he just wants to emphasize the fact that everything that we do, everything that we do performing the word of God that's written and Jesus spoke in the Sermon on the Mount. All that's done before the all-seeing eye of God. He sees everything. Every reason we do the things we do, all the words we speak, all the deeds we do, he's watching all of that. And that's a, that's a sobering thought, isn't it? That's a very sobering thought. Uh, to think that, 
that what we are in private is what we really are, you know, things like that. Uh, I remember Keith Green, he used to have a uh, ministry called Last Days Ministries, and they had the Last Days Newsletter. And they had, he had writings in there from uh, Winky Prattney and David Wilkerson and David Ravenhill and other people that he'd bring out of the past and take some of their articles and put in there. And, and uh, I remember one of the articles that Keith Green wrote was, What's playing in the theater of your mind? Because God knows, doesn't he? And who of us would like to stand up and expose everything that goes through our mind to everyone around us? Be, that would be foolish in the first place, but also extremely embarrassing. You know? And so we can go along with Murray who says, All right, we're sorry you're here late, but what's the worst sin that you've ever committed? You know, you know we really don't want that exposed. We, we really like to hide that and play that close to our chest, but, but everything we do and all the motivations behind everything we do and all the words we speak and consider, all of those things God is gauging, and Jesus is, is causing us to realize that at the end of this sermon, and so he, he tells us some things that really sober us, you know, make us think, you know, this life is, is really important and how I respond to Jesus and what his word is, you know, because he's expecting that we don't refuse what he's saying. He's not giving us a sermon on the mount. So we can say, my, my, wasn't that a tremendous sermon? Let's go eat some pie. That's not the purpose. And I, I remember reading, I used to read uh, Ezekiel 34 frequently. It's a, it's a charge to the, to the shepherds, you know, to watch over the flock of God. And previous to that, in chapter 33, uh, Ezekiel is told by God, this is a paraphrase, don't pay attention to all the compliments and the praises the people give you. They're going to tell you the stuff you said is really great, that you got this tremendous gift, but they're not going to do a thing that you tell them. I thought, wow. And so Jesus is saying, don't be like that. I am telling you that your behavior matters because it's connected to who you really are. He's not just looking for orthodoxy. He doesn't want us just to be able to say, you know, the Apostles' Creed. Or respond to a catechism, but he wants to work those things in us until they come out of us in action, until our motivations are changed. And this is some hard surgery. This is a lifetime of the Holy Spirit working in our hearts. This is a lifetime of letting ourselves be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, and being doers of the Word, not hearers only. And then looking at why am I doing this word? Am I trying to make myself righteous before God by doing his word? Because if we are, we're off base at the get-go. We're justified freely as a result of the blood of Jesus. But those who are freely justified, James says, complete their faith by their works. It's evidence of the fact that they really are who they say they are, what they profess. And so Jesus makes these warnings. I've got, got them in the second paragraph. And he says that if we're going to walk with him, First of all, we're going to have to go in a squeezed, narrow gate. You ever work cattle? I've got to tell you this one story. This is a good one. I used to work, I used to play like I was a cowboy some when I lived up in New Mexico. So we're working this guy's cow herd. He's got about 220 cows. and I can't remember how many of them had calves, you know. But anyway, we gathered all these mamas and these babies. And, and the, mo the mamas really don't want to be parted from their babies. And the babies don't want to be parted from their mamas. But they've got to be to be treated, you know, to be castrated if they're male, to just to be taken care of, get their vaccinations, get their ear notched, and all that kind of stuff. And so we're separating them. And this one big old mama cow comes into a squeeze chute that's made for smaller steers and heifers. And she can't go all the way through it. She's too big. You know? 
she's squeezed in there and she keeps trying to come through she keeps trying to come through and so this guy I'm working with gets his hot shot out and he's poking her in the front you know and trying to get her getting her on the brisket and trying to get her to back out and she won't get out so finally he goes over to the Brandon fire and picks up an iron and just sticks it on her nose and she backed right out of there you know that was, that, was, that was a shock for me you know I grew up in Amarillo and I didn't I didn't work cows before that but I thought man you know Jesus said, you've got to get through that narrow way. You've got to shed some stuff to get into this way with me. You've got to turn from your old nature. You've got to repent. You've got to, you've got to realize that there's salvation only in coming in this way. And then you've got to understand, this is a narrow road we're going on. This is not an easy trip. This is not a vacation. This is, this is not what you're thinking maybe up front. This is not what maybe some, some wolf in sheep's clothing told you to come to Jesus and everything will just be all right. Jesus said, come to me and you're going to run into tribulation. In this world, you're going to have tribulation. You're going to be tested. You're going to be tried. You're going to be tempted. But don't you worry. The gates of hell will not prevail over my kingdom, over this foundation I'm giving you. You cannot be shaken off of it. But it's narrow. You've got to walk with me. You've got to trust me. You've got to come with me. And so he tells us that. He said, now listen, if you want to go the wide, easy way, I'm telling you what's going to happen to those folks. They're going to be destroyed. There's a way that seems right to us. But the end of it is destruction. And Jesus has come not only to deliver us and to justify us, but he's come to sanctify us. He's looking for a holy people. He's looking for a bride without spot, blemish, or wrinkle. The righteous deeds of the saints will be the garments that they wear on that day when they see Jesus at the altar. Okay? And so he, he's telling us this up front. Jesus, just, he doesn't put, Jesus is not a lawyer. He doesn't write a bunch of stuff in small print. You ever get those credit card deals? And you open your new credit card. And then it says right up there, read this thoroughly and be acquainted. You're going, you've got to be kidding me. I'm 66 years old. I don't have time to read that. Yeah. Anybody ever read that whole thing? I bet you if we did read it, we couldn't understand what I was saying. Because who wrote it? Yeah. You want one on your side when you need them, but, you know. My brother-in-law is a lawyer now. He's a net, now he's a Social Security judge. Okay, the, so, so he makes this comparison. He makes this analogy of life's journey of the different ends of healthy, fruitful trees versus the ends of unhealthy, diseased, unfruitful trees. The unfruitful trees, those who don't respond, those who refuse to respond to the words of God in faith and obedience, they'll be burned. Jesus makes that clear right up front. He said, this is the way it is. There will be judgment, and everything will be tested, and those things that don't stack up will be burned. And then he says, and the number three here is, the reward of those who do his will versus the condemnation of the lawless who profess but have a false profession. They do all the stuff, but their motivation at, level, at root level is wrong. They cast out demons. They prophesy. They even do miraculous works. But a lot of them, some of them, enough of them, are wolves in sheep's clothing. The same warning that Paul gives to the elders at Ephesus the last time he sees them. He said, listen, I've proclaimed you the whole counsel of God's word. My hands are free of your blood. He said, I'm telling you, even from among your own selves. In other words, he's saying, even among the church leaders, even from among the elders will come those who are wolves in sheep's clothing. So Jesus says, be careful. Listen to what is being said. Don't follow someone that just says it's, it's all 
gravy going out forward, that everything is good, that, that uh, you're already arrived, you know, that you don't have to do anything to follow Jesus. Jesus says that's not true. So I was thinking about Jesus this morning. For 33 years, absolute humility. I love that, that uh, emptying hymn in, in Philippians where it says, uh, uh, have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus. Who are those in the form of God did not count equality of God a thing to be grasped but humbled himself, emptied himself, became a human, became a man, became obedient even to the point of death. For 33 years he was obedient at every turn. And so he's thoroughly God, but he's thoroughly man. So he was tempted in every way that we're tempted, and yet he never sinned. He absolutely submitted himself to his Father, because that's what it took, even going to the cross, in order to deliver us from sin. It took that absolute, abject humility. And then he says, follow me. Have this mind among yourselves, which you've received in me by the Holy Spirit. Have this mind. Become a servant. Don't seek your own way. Seek my Father's way. So this is not an easy road. This is a very narrow road. Jesus wants us to know that. And he makes these analogies because he's coming to the conclusion. He wants to warn us that there's no such thing as easy believism or cheap grace, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer said. This is a very expensive grace. It costs Jesus everything he was, and it will cost us all that does not match who Jesus is. Because what God called us to is to be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus. So now we're ready for this journey. Doesn't it sound exciting? It is exciting, but it's difficult. It's difficult. So, he says the same thing that James says, just a little bit different words. So, what we got here, let's, let's read this uh, few verses here. Verse 24 through 27. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man, a wise person who built their house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. So during the construction phase, these houses could be side by side, and they look identical. Same blueprints, people are building them using the same materials. If you walked into one the day after it was constructed, it's like, wow, look at that. These are, what fine houses. These are identical. But there's something wrong with the first one's foundation. I can't, you ever read about some of these uh, places where they build these, Manhattan's a good example because Manhattan's this island, and, and so they've got to dig down deep to hit bedrock. So a lot of those skyscrapers will have like 8, 10, 12 stories, you know, down, just trying to get a hold of something solid. They can't build them on that. They could, they could build them, but it's like the Leaning Tower of Pisa. You know, so they got, what was it, eight degrees, eight and a half degrees? You know, it leans over, right after they finish it, uh-oh. Somebody didn't get to the bedrock. Somebody didn't get a good foundation laid. And if they hadn't, remember years ago they were refurbishing it, and they took like, I can't remember, they took like 40, 48 gazillion tons of concrete blocks and set it on one side to try to stabilize it because they knew it was getting ready to go over. And then they went underneath and they dug under and pumped in some new concrete, tried to get down deeper. First church I pastored was an L-shaped church in a little bitty community in New Mexico. And I was, you know, I was everything. I was the janitor and the lawnmower and everything. I did that. 
I was that for 33 years. Anyway, so, so here I am. I'm, I'm looking down one day. I'm out mowing the lawn, and I noticed these, it's built out of slump block. And they did two things wrong. A guy basically built it by himself. They did two things wrong. They didn't pour the corners of the slump block, so they weren't really tied together well. And then they, they didn't dig the footing deep enough, and so the slump blocks on the corners of the building were dropping off, and the, the trusses were holding up the upper blocks. So you had these big fissures. You could look right at it. Look at the Sunday. They're having Sunday school there. Look, look. You know? And uh, so I, I talked to a friend of mine. I said, well, what can I do? And he said, well, because we have to do this on the cheap. He said, well, you can dig down and go underneath the footing, probably another couple of feet, and then you could pour some concrete in there. So I did that by hand because that's how much money we had. So I bought a bunch of sackcrete and mixed it up in a wheelbarrow, you know, dug back 12 feet, two directions, and I dug, and then I got to just shovel it in there, you know. The building didn't settle. The next eight years I was there, it didn't settle anymore because I got enough grip on something that was solid down there. So if we find out, if we're looking at our foundation, we're finding out, I I didn't really build very good here. I I didn't build true. Jesus is saying, check it out. Make sure you're grounded on the right foundation, that you're rooted and grounded in what's true. We need to be orthodox and we need to be orthoprax. That is, we practice what we believe, but we also have to look at the whole reason we're doing it. Do I believe the right things and do the right things because I'm building up my righteousness before God? That's impossible. Only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus can make us right with the Father. Only in the blood that he sheds on the cross is there any way to be made right with the Father. Only in that. He made peace through the blood of his cross. But those who have peace with him, Their hearts are changed and their deep cry is, I want to be more like him. I want to cooperate with the Holy Spirit and being conformed to the image of Jesus. I want the love of God that he's shown me to really be the motivation for what I do. And if it's not, then I want to repent. I want to turn and say, God, refresh me, renew me. You know, let me put a little more concrete down there. Let me get grounded and rooted on Jesus, not trying to do this on my own. So Jesus tells us this... this, uh, parable telling us there's a wise guy and a foolish guy. And the foolish guy just thinks, hey, it's good enough. I go to church, I listen, I like a good sermon, you know, and then I like to go out and eat, and I don't want to talk about sermon so much, or whatever, you know. I, I really like a good sermon, you know, Sunday school's fun, all those kind of things. But there's no, there's no root in this. He didn't dig down. He, didn't, he really didn't consider what Jesus was saying. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. for That hunger never leaves. That hunger doesn't go away. Well, I've been a Christian for 43 years. I used to hunger for righteousness. No, no, something's wrong. Something's wrong if I'm not hungering and thirsting for righteousness. If I'm not coming back to Jesus and depending upon him and, and grounding all of my desire in him. Something, something's wrong. Something's got off the rails. I may need to go back and pump concrete. I may need to get attached to the foundation firmly. You know, I need to, Maybe I just need to. Now they can go in and they can put these big balloon bladders underneath your footings and Jack your house up. Isn't that something? I couldn't do that because I didn't have any money. So looks can be deceiving. And you and I can't tell. We can't tell. But Jesus doesn't look on the out. He looks on the inside. You know? People thought, Saul, now there's a man, head and shoulders. What a king this guy is going to be. Didn't turn out too good. Then, then Samuel comes to Jesse's house. Brings all these sons in there. Oh, those are strapping young guys. Look at this guy. It must be this one. No, nope, wasn't that one? This one then. No, nope, not that one. This one? No, nope, not that one. This one? Do you have any other sons? Yeah, I got this little kid. He's out tending the sheep. 
13 or 14 years old, you know. Well, bring him in here. Here comes this guy. Nobody would give him a second look as far as kinkling material. God tells Samuel, that's the man right there. God looks on the inside. He doesn't look on the outside. You and I, you know, we can examine fruit, but we still don't know if the root is really solid, you know. But we are called to examine ourselves, aren't we? To judge ourselves, to stay on the narrow way. We are called, and the Word of God is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, and we read it, and it penetrates to the very depth of our motivation and our longings and our desires, and God says, you need to correct this, and we begin the correction process. It's hard. It's like digging out from under a footing in mountain sunshine, you know, and mixing up concrete and pouring it in there and letting it set up, and, you know, it's, it's hard work. It's hard work to be conformed to the image of Jesus. So, builders' hearts are revealed by their fruit. So here's four categories. I, got, I stole this from R.C. Sproul, who no doubt probably stole it from somebody else. What, there's two categories of people, you know. There's the people building on the foundation who are wise, and there's the people that think, hey, this is going to be good enough, and they're building on sand. But when the storms come, that house is going to collapse. Well, but there are four categories. There are people who are saved and sure of it, they have confidence. They never really second guess. They've just always, always, always been confident in God. There are people that are unsaved, and they're sure. They're sure they're unsaved. You know, I've met people like that. You have too. They don't care. They don't give a wit about God. You know. Then there's the saved and the unsure. That kind of throws a monkey wrench in the scheme. But there are people who are justified. The speaker we had at uh, family campus. One of the best guys I've ever heard speak. I mean, this guy was phenomenal. Should have been there. Wow. If it's on DVD, get it. I mean, it's, this guy was phenomenal. One of the things he said, his dad, who was his hero, died at the age of 64. And he said his dad was the most godly man he'd ever been around. And on his deathbed, he was afraid that there might be something that he had forgotten to confess or something that was uncovered by the blood of Jesus. And he told his dad, he said, Dad, you're the best Christian I've ever been around. There are people who are saved and unsure. But then this is the, really the bad one. There are people who are unsaved and sure they're saved. Doesn't that define the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes? Totally unjustified, but nevertheless, hey, we're all right. We tithe, mint, dill, and cumin. We go to the Sabbath. You know, we do everything. Jesus said, I never have known you. Woe to you. Woe to you. Man, that's... That's some scary phraseology, isn't it? Jesus is saying, listen, there are people who look like they've got it together. They think they've got it together, but they're not on the foundation. And the time of testing, which comes upon everyone, will prove that. But here, life is testing, isn't it? So Jesus is giving us day by day, year after year, an opportunity to respond to him, to make adjustments. And if we're not on the foundation, to get on the foundation. To get on the foundation. This is an expansive place to build. I mean, Jesus is, is exclusive, but he's massive in his provision. And so all who want to build on that foundation are free to come and respond. But Jesus wants us to know that there's a possibility that we may not be on the foundation. If he didn't care, he wouldn't tell us. He'd just say, eh. Don't worry about it. I'm not going to worry about you. But he is concerned for us, and so he gives us this way to live. He provides us life. So both foundations endure testing. This is the, this is the thing that we must realize that, that uh, 
The Lord tests hearts. He proves hearts. And this you rejoice, even though now for a little while you endure this testing. That your faith, like precious gold, is being refined. So we have all of these, all of this material in the Bible from Genesis on, all the way to Revelation where there's testing going on, there's trying going on, there's proving going on. And Jesus says that's what happens in life. So when you notice cracks, it's like a reminder, oh, I better, I better check into that if I've got a problem. If we've got an anger issue, you know, or something's going on, we're dealing with some kind of a, a recurrent problem in our life that's not honoring Jesus, then that's a reminder. It's like when, you, when you're driving down the street and your oil light comes on. So I guess cars don't have oil lights anymore. They have a pressure gauge or nothing. You know, sometimes the first warning is a check engine. You open the hood and, yeah, the engine's in there. What do you mean check it? There it is, right there. You know, <laughs> well, get it to somebody know what they're talking about. You know, well, anyway, so, so if you get it, but you ever hear the Click and Clack brothers? You ever hear those guys on people? Aren't they funny, Jim? I, I love listening to those guys. A couple of MIT engineers who ran a big garage. Maybe they still do in Boston. They, they talk Boston, you they still, they still there? They're dead. Yeah, oh, man. Is that right? They're just playing it? Okay. They were hilarious. They were really funny. So I remember one time I used to listen to I used to get up early on Saturday mornings in Mexico just to listen to those guys. I'd sit on the hearth of my fireplace just listen to you guys and crack up. Anyway, so one time they were talking about this. A guy called in and said, how can I convince my wife it's not a good idea to drive with the oil light on? And he said, well, that's a good question. You might tell her that, you know, that a lot of research has shown that if the oil light is off, an average car would get 100,000 miles of maintenance-free service. With the oil light on, it'll go about three blocks, you know. <laughs> so if, if a light comes on the dashboard of life, you know, and we've got a, we've got a problem with jealousy or envy, things that are contrary to love or we're irritable all the time or, or we think that, that having power and moving mountains is where it's really at, you know, or if we're very eloquent and we can, we can address the issues, you know, so that people can understand all the things that we're talking about. If we think that's the issue, you know, and, and, and we, get, we get irritable with people that don't get it, don't understand it, you know, or if we're envious or we're boastful about that, that's a warning light and we need to go to Jesus say, Jesus, I need to change. This is not like you. This is not your character. I want to be changed. I need some help here. Holy Spirit, burn in me. Holy Spirit, move in me. Holy Spirit, cover me. Help me to change. Because testing is about changing us. It's about proving us. It's about perfecting us. We're going to have tribulation in the world. All of these things are allowed, even sent by God. I've got to read this to you because this is, this is one of my favorite perspectives on this testing. This is a Psalm 105. It's about Joseph. So you think about Joseph. We don't know a lot about Joseph's inner life. But we do know how he responded outwardly, and it was amazing, wasn't it? Just amazing. As a young man gets sold off by his brothers, he might, I don't know, maybe when they were few in number, this is verse 12, when they were few in number of little account, speaking about Israel, and sojourners in it, in the promised land, wandering from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another people, he allowed no one to oppress them. He rebuked kings on their account, saying, Touch not my anointed ones, do my prophets no harm. Then it says this of God, When God summoned a famine on the land. How about that? When God summoned a famine on the land. When God summoned a famine on the land. Not when the devil snuck in on one. Oh, I got this going. No, when God summoned the famine on the land, 
and broke all supply of bread, he had sent a man ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. That's how he sent him ahead. Now, isn't that something to think about Joseph being sent by God ahead of his brothers, his dad, his family? How he sent him into Egypt? Wouldn't it have been easier just to rent a camel? But he didn't, did he? He sent him in as a slave. He was doing something in Joseph that was absolutely necessary for Joseph to behave in a manner that reflected the glory, the mercy, the steadfast love of God. And the only way that's going to get worked into Joseph's life is getting sold as a slave. Wow. That's an amazing concept, isn't it? So, he sends him in as a slave. His feet were hurt with fetters. His neck was put in a collar of iron until what he had said came to pass. The word of the Lord test him. What did Joseph say? Hey, guys, you wouldn't believe these visions, these dreams I've had. That you, you, you bowed down before me. Mom and Dad bowed down before me. This is, what's going on? They didn't like that. But until what he said came to pass, it says the word of the Lord tested him. What is it that God has declared about me and you that's going to come to pass? We're going to receive a like nature in his in terms of a glorified body. We're going to be conformed to his image that this mind that we're praying for, the mind of Christ that we're praying for, asking it to be more fully developed, in it, that is going to be worked in us, but it's going to come through this testing, this trial. And so if we're building on the right foundation, if we're building on Christ Jesus, these tests, these trials, these temptations, these tribulations hit us, they hit everybody. But to those who are on the wrong foundation, it collapses, it destroys their life, and there's no hope left. But to those who have built a life of faith on the Lord Jesus Christ, and who hunger and thirst for righteousness, who long to look upon the face of God and come back to Him over and over and over, those things serve to perfect us, to conform us to the image of Christ Jesus. This happened in Joseph's life, and just by a superficial reading of his life, he was in better shape than I was to begin with, you know what I mean? But then to think that Jesus in order to become a perfect priest on our behalf, endured trials, tribulations, temptations like you and I cannot even imagine so that we could enter in, so that his obedience could be counted as ours, so that his trust in the Father could be counted as ours, so that he could enter into the presence of God on our behalf and make intercession for us, so that our faith will not fail. If we're on the foundation that God has provided in him. Because Paul says, I laid a foundation, the only one that can be laid, Jesus Christ. There's not another foundation. And everything we build on that foundation will be tested by fire. It begins now, and it will be on that day when we see Jesus face to face. Everything will be magnified before him. Everything will be dealt with. Not in terms of salvation and condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But in terms of just getting rid of all the ash residue so we can enter into the presence of God forever and ever in perfect relationship with him. But now Jesus says, be sure you're building on the right foundation. Make sure that you're in the narrow way, that you've come through that hard to enter gate. Make sure that you're not listening to wolves in sheep's clothing. Make sure that you love the whole counsel of my word, not just the parts that really seem sweet and precious, but all of those that correct you because I gave my word, all of my scriptures inspired for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Take my word. Let it work in you. Let it be a mirror to you. Become a doer of it. And in that doing, we will be blessed. Jesus said, if you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. There's no blessing given to those who just say, ah, I know that stuff. No, it's the doing of those things 
that brings the blessing of God upon our lives and makes us a blessing in the places where we dwell. And we, of all people, will be the most surprised. Wow, my life had blessed them? What is the deal with that? That's because when we forget about ourselves and focus on Jesus, and then periodically, like we did this morning, examine ourselves before God. Why am I taking this? Why am I eating this bread? Why am I drinking this wine? What does this mean? Do I believe this? Am I yielded to this man who loved me and gave himself for me? And if we are, then we keep going. And we bless others as we go. So, next week we'll talk about how Jesus spoke with authority. Because when he said these things, it was amazing. Let's pray. Father, again, we, we do bless you, God. We, we need you, God. We hunger for you. We thirst after you. There's a lot of stuff, God, that distracts us. There's a lot of things. But you lived a life that uh, constantly was alert to your Father, constantly given up to Him. Lord, you've called us to walk that same path, not to be concerned with what we might think is happening or what others might think of us. But God, what it is that you think of us, what it is that you've called us to, who you've made us to be. So God, we're, we're like David. We, uh, we come to you. We... We ask this, Lord. Search us, O God, and know our hearts. Try us and know our thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way within us, God. And then lead us in the way that's everlasting. All of this, God, we ask in Jesus' name that you might be glorified. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. Have a great afternoon.